The Incomparable. Number 539. November 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This episode is about a movie that is not quite old enough to be an old movie from Old Movie Club, but is still uh, kind of an old movie. It's 34 years old now. Oh, boy. Um, We recently did an episode about Terminator 2, and uh, we're revisiting other second movies directed by James Cameron. It's Aliens, the 1986 sequel to Ridley Scott's classic movie alien which we talked about on a previous episode now we uh we pluralized it and uh, boy is this movie the plural of that movie in <laughs> so many ways uh here to talk about it a fine group of people that we've assembled uh we're going to start with the uk contingent anthony johnston is here i wouldn't have done this episode without him because i know how much he loves alien hi anthony hello jason it's just another glorious day on the incomparable <laughs> <laughs> uh james thompson also joins us from the united kingdom hi james they ain't paying us enough for this man <laughs> <laughs> kelly gamont is here from uh, the usa hi kelly okay sweethearts let's do this uh monty ashley also here from uh, uh the pacific northwest no less hi monty yeah man but it's a dry heat wait that doesn't and uh first time on the incomparable although not on the network it's sandra wong from canada am i right canada all right yes from canada and i am ready to use some harsh language okay oh no (laughs) we'll bleep all of that because although this movie has plenty of it (laughs) alien so um i I guess we'll start like we use with a lot of these movies with sort of like people's personal history with it a little bit. Just I'm just kind of curious um, how you came to this movie, because as we discussed in the Terminator 2 episode, a lot of people saw Terminator 2 having never even seen the original. And um, I, I so I'm kind of curious about people's relationship with this movie, like initially, or did you see it long after the fact? I will admit up front that this is a movie I saw on video um, on VHS long after um, it was uh, I had seen alien and um, and I remember my, my initial impression of this movie was very much what Roger Ebert's initial impression was when I was reading his review back, which is that um, it's kind of exhausting because it, it's, there's so much action in it. And I, I was thinking back to my reaction on, and to Ebert's review. It's like, it's more than two hours and it, there's so much action. It goes on forever. Or as we call it now, every movie <laughs> so <laughs> it's it just doesn't seem that out of place now like it did in in the 80s uh but anthony i thought i'd start with you because i know how much you love alien what's your what's your relationship with aliens well i had seen alien as you know i mentioned in the when we talked about alien i had seen alien long before i saw aliens i was lucky enough for a given value of lucky to have seen alien when i was relatively young uh and had you know friends who were similarly obsessed with it like i was uh but like you i first saw aliens on vhs because over here in the uk I'm not sure if it was an 18 rated, but it was certainly, you know, I couldn't see it at the cinema anyway. Mm. So I saw it first on VHS like so many people. But it had been a good gap between seeing Alien and then seeing Aliens, just like the real real movie. You know, I mean, making a sequel. Seven years, right? Yeah, making a sequel, waiting this long to make a sequel to a movie, and especially a beloved movie like Alien, was fairly rare at the time. You know, maybe not so much now, but at the time... If you were going to get a sequel, it was going to be something that was rushed out quickly and it would be schlock. And this was none of those things. Right. Um, 
It was great. I love this movie. It is so different to Alien that I have long been, you know, you get people saying, oh, which one do you prefer? Which one is the better movie? You can't compare them. They are such different movies. Yes, they're similarly intense, but in such different ways. Uh, And they are both top of their class in the kind of movie that they are. I have seen this movie. It has the dubious honor of being the only movie that I have seen more than a hundred times. Wow. Wow. and that, and that is because you when have it taste. was well, yes, <laughs> when it was out on VHS uh, and after it had been shown on the TV as well, both in censored and non-censored versions, um, it basically became the background movie soundtrack to my uh, role-playing game group's regular sessions and Ah. the same that I played board games with the same people as well, including the Aliens board game, which was very good. Uh, And so this movie, we would just put it on. It would just be on. And this would, I'm talking every weekend and many weeknights for a period of like five or six years. So I genuinely don't know how many times I've seen this movie, but it's well over a hundred. It may be several hundred. Uh, But I hadn't seen it for years until watching it for this episode. In fact, it had probably been maybe 10 years or more since I'd watched it, including, incredibly, this was the first time I'd ever seen it in high definition. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, there's stuff happening over on the sides of the... uh... Fascinating. Yeah, well... Yes, yes, Yeah, I've I've experienced that with several movies on The Incomparable, and it's quite a thing to have that moment of like, oh, you know, I've never seen this in in HD. I only ever saw the standard def cropped four by three... I had seen it in the cinema uh, because a local multiplex many, many years ago, but this would have been about sort of 92, I'm guessing, did a double bill, late night double bill of Alien and Aliens. And that was the first time that I had seen either movie on the big screen. And obviously neither disappointed. They were both brilliant on the big screen. But yeah, this was the first time that I'd seen in it in hd and therefore been able to see just how ropey some of the effects are <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was a, one particular effect that actually made my son who i watched this with uh cackle up about how bad it was but uh, uh just the one that really made him cackle uh, james thompson this is the time where you tell us uh how the alien scared you when you were a child <laughs> well it's actually quite the opposite of that really oh. um i have to confess that yeah i'm pretty sure i saw aliens before I saw Alien, but I was 13 when this came out. And you might think that that would mean that I could not go and see it in the cinema since it was an 18 rating or whatever. But that is not true because I don't know if it was just Glasgow, but I spent my sort of teen years going to see movies that I really should not have seen, like <laughs> um, notably things like Hellraiser and, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and a lot of horror stuff. So this was right up my alley. And, you know, I. I I thought it was the best thing ever. And it was very much like the Terminator 2 of the Alien films in the eye, an unsophisticated teenager, much preferred the big, dumb action film um, over the sort of slightly more cerebral first films. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, I've probably seen it 95 fewer times than Anthony. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was the same first time I'd seen it in HD just there. And also the first time that I watched the special edition, because I'd never seen the special edition. Um, and I thought it would be interesting. Uh-huh. And so there were scenes in it that I was like, I don't remember this. But is that just because it's been 10 or so years since I last watched it? But no, indeed, there was lots of scenes that were dropped in. It's like another 17 odd minutes in yeah. the special edition. Yeah. Um, 
But my my Mac said game over, man, game over for many years when you shut it down. <laughs> you were not alone. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. That's that's really great. Kelly, uh any any backstory for you with this movie? Um I honestly don't remember the first time I saw it. I just have watched it a lot and it's like always James, been there for you just always been there it ha- well i know that i saw it when i was much younger than i had any business actually seeing it um i do remember that uh but i did like i think this was on like a, a pay tv channel and i saw it there and then went and tracked down the first one and so i've watched both of them sort of on you know on on square televisions with uh, you know, standard definition. And then a few years ago, uh, I, I don't remember where, but I got a deal on like the Blu-ray box set of all of them. Uh, uh, there's two and there's some, some third thing in there that I, I don't know what it is, but the, the first two are on there in Blu-ray and they're fantastic. And so um, I've been watching this special edition for a while. And then, uh, but I really, I really enjoy this one. Like, like Anthony, there's such different movies. And so there's not one I prefer, uh, but it is very different to they're they're very different in the way that they draw you in and very different in the way that they sort of scare you and that's what I like about each of them is the 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 part that reels me in is very different in each movie and so like I've watched this one off and on for quite a while also not as much as Anthony but um uh this I this is one one that I have put on and enjoyed. Like I just want a good action movie where I can just sort of check out for a couple of hours and, and ent- be entertained. And this is a very excellent way to do that. Monty, what's your, uh, what's your background with this one? Uh, I'm going to be back on the James side of things on this. This was a iconic movie for my role-playing group. Not only did we all see it in the theaters and then when it was possible to get, VHSs of it and see it constantly. There was not a gaming session that didn't have at least fifteen or twenty aliens quotes because it is a perfect <laughs> yeah. movie it's when so you're quotable. playing D anD D or something. Um, I've seen it easily hundreds. Wow! Uh, I've read the novelization several times. I've read the press kit which has little secret information about the Marines that you don't get anywhere else. I've gotten patches for the Space Marines and the Sulaco. Uh, I've had earnest discussions about how good a replica pulse rifle people should get and why you don't want to cheap out. Wow. (laughs) I I have... I feel like we should all leave and just let Monty and Anthony yeah. take I, over. I think my <laughs> aliens imposter syndrome is kicking in at this point. Yeah. I have strong opinions on every Marine. Interesting. Because <laughs> I'm going to say... Even Wiz Bowski? Wiz Bowski! Wiz Bowski! Yes, that was a quote from the movie, by the way. Uh-huh. When, yeah, it was. Uh, he's spinning around, like, yeah. where is he? And, and he's gone. Yeah. Uh, I've had earnest discussions with people about exactly what's happening when it all goes bad and the aliens start dying. Spoiler. Um, I, I watch this movie a lot, a lot, a lot, Jason. Yeah, I get it. Okay, good, good. I'm glad you're, I'm glad I selected you to be on this episode then. I guess. Way more than alien. Uh, alien. I've seen like five times or whatever. It's fine. Aliens is a great movie. And I'm going to say everyone always talks about the action. 
I'm going to bring this up later. It's not a great movie because of the action. It's a great movie because of the 40 minutes of no action. Yeah. Yes. I, that yes. struck me this time, too. Oh, yeah. Um, Sandra, do you have a background yes. with this? I do. Um, when I was young, I had a slightly older cousin who um, got all the VHS movies for us younger kids to watch. So I watched Alien way before I was 18. <laughs> And I saw Aliens in the theater in its theatrical release uh, three times. I adored it. And to this day, it is my comfort movie. So <laughs> if I need something to feel good, um, I, will, I will put it on. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, an Alien and Aliens are totally different films. Mm-hmm. One's a horror film, one's an action film. So... I don't yeah. know people. I mean, you can you can mix up the two, of course. But I actually think that's a great place to start. I, I alluded to it earlier. I think one of the my my real fascinations with these two movies is how I think they're both generally considered classics from and they are in the same universe. They are this is a sequel to Alien, and yet they are so different. They have they have story in common. They have character in common. They've got design of monster in common, but and and they're not completely different because as Monty just pointed out, there is a lot of tension where there isn't action in this movie. And I feel like that makes it more suspenseful and a little bit more like alien, but even then the pacing of alien or especially early on is so different. And that's what fascinates me is this is a, another great director taking one great director's work. That's a classic and saying, all right, how do I, how do I do this and not retread the same ground and make something that I can I can be proud of, but that is also different? I'm fascinated when there's like an artistic challenge like that, especially in a commercial context like this. And this is one, I think, of the great triumphs of that kind of movie making because it's James Cameron. It's almost like, you know, like uh, Ridley Scott put down like a great jazz, you know, track and then he's like yeah yeah i'll do the next verse and it's totally different you're like whoa what what just happened and i i you know there are examples in movies of this but this is one of the greatest i think to me of how it's not like alien yet honors alien and feels sort of like it's part of the alien universe while being so totally different because it's it's um, military instead of a bunch of civilian <laughs> dummies on a spaceship. It's uh, it's still got the uh, corporate angle, which we were very clear: the true monster and alien is the corporation, and <laughs> and uh, and but it's got this whole military overtone, and uh, and then lots of explosions and lots of different monsters and all sorts of things that that are are way amped up. It's not like Alien. And there's a second alien. It's like alien and there's a queen and hundreds of aliens and like it's all there. So that's I I think maybe we should start there. If people have thoughts about this, like the idea that it's so different from as a movie from its predecessor, because that's to me is the most fascinating thing. Well, I think there's a reason why this movie is so constantly uh, and continually voted as the best sequel of all time. And it's all of those points. It is a great movie in its own right. You know, even if you haven't seen Alien, you can understand what is going on in this movie and enjoy it by itself. But if you have seen Alien, and even if you're obsessed with Alien, like I was, you can still enjoy this movie because it's so well made. And like you said, it honours the original, but doesn't attempt to imitate it, which is such a difficult thing to do in these circumstances. So 
you know, it's a real, it's a testament to Cameron's ability and skill as an artist, sure, but also to the willpower to resist the temptation to imitate Alien, because that temptation must have been enormous, given how highly regarded Alien was. I mean, it wasn't that financially successful at the time, but it was well regarded. And the temptation to imitate it must have been huge. So to resist that and be so confident in his own vision, I think is, you know, is really commendable. Um, and we, talk, you know, we talked about the, the lack of action, the building up of the tension. It is an hour it is exactly one hour until the first wave of aliens and the first true action scene, yeah. uh, which is an amazing when you think you think about this movie and you think, oh, it's a big action fest, lots of guns and aliens flying over. And it's really not. But that first hour is spent in the same way that the first hour of Alien is spent, which is getting to know the characters, yes. having that camaraderie and the relationships and making you care about the characters so that when everything does kick off, well, so that you're tense because you know something bad's going to happen. <laughs> and then when something bad does happen, you care about the characters that are getting killed all over the place, even Wisbowski and Spunkmeyer and, you know, the, those people oh, who have one or two lines. You know, Spunkmeyer is the uh, backup pilot on the drop. Yeah, if there's Ferris, goo yes. in your spaceship, if there's goo in your spaceship, don't shrug it off, people. Don't shrug yeah, it off. Yeah, that, that was a bad idea. I'm sure it's fine that there's <laughs> it's goo on the board, though. Call. It's not Spunkmeyer's fault. You know that. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that was the thing that surprised me in the rewatch of this was I'd forgotten how much the beginning was stretched out and how sort of compressed the deaths were towards the end because well, like people were dropping like flies almost immediately as soon as those aliens came in and we were very quickly down to just like you know five or so people mm -hmm. and I was I hadn't remembered how quickly they had dispatched everyone. Yeah, Apone gets a ton of lines, and it, he's the sergeant. Um, he gets a ton of lines. He's super fun to watch. And mm -hmm. then he's barely on screen when he dies. Like, yeah. you just see his <laughs> screen yeah. go to static. No, it's just shouting That's his it. name. Shouting his name is, is most of what he is when he's dying. It's just, Apone, Apone, come in, Apone. And it's like, he's, he's already gone. But he doesn't answer. Chief. Yeah. Yeah, the, stru the structural, structurally, it's fascinating because um, it really is. There's the setup portion. There's that first... Like there's so many characters that I can see what the screenplay is doing, which is like they can't have all these characters for the whole movie. So there's the first <laughs> portion, which is the massacre. And then the last half of the movie is a much slimmed down cast that's trying to survive and escape. And that's that mo moment where the movie shifts gears and, well, and it becomes very different. I'd like to move before the massacre because my favorite 40 minutes of the movie is from them waking up like... Ripley has accepted the mission, and then we cut to the Sulaku in space. Right. As soon as they start waking up through to when the massacre starts happening. So I, I usually time it to the first flamethrower blast. That's just 40 minutes of some tension, but mostly getting to know people. Right. Mm -hmm. Convincing the audience that Drake and Vasquez have had a history and they are partners, and Vasquez and Hudson do this, and Hudson yeah. and Hicks do this. And that part of the movie, I don't need any aliens. I could watch that and have watched that for hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the thing to me about this that I thought, that I think is, is really interesting, if you sort of look at both of them as a piece, because it was just those two for quite a while, um, 
the thing to me that's interesting about it is that it is absolutely an alien movie. It's set in the alien universe. We know who the, we know who the aliens are, what they look like, all of that. We know who our hero is, what she looks like, what her deal is. We know all these things. It's absolutely the same universe, the same the same characters, the same sort of battle that's going on. And yet it is such such a different movie and it's I think this is the kind of thing that sets up things like the Marvel universe having very different movies that are still Marvel movies. Mm. Like you couldn't do something like that without, without alien showing that you can build this universe and do something totally different in the same universe. And yet it, they absolutely still go together. Like they, they are, yes, very, very different movies, but they're still both this, you know, these alien franchise films. And I think that is part of what, helps inform movies today is that you can do something like that. I think a, a note back to um, the comment between Ridley Scott and James Cameron is I think even thematically you could say that Cameron was very much making a split from Alien. You know, that first part is everyone there is dead and all of the life that Ripley had is gone, period. And now, mm-hmm. you know, and then she agrees to go and everything else happens, and they, and then he Cameronizes, you know, this <laughs> franchise, mm-hmm. all the great stuff he did with Terminator. You know that he's great. He was great at doing this sense of relentless dread. Um, mm-hmm. He put his stamp on the rest of the film because it was his. But I, I think it could have been conscious uh, that he wanted to make a clean break from Alien. You know, on screen, that was the subtext. Well, and Terminator's why he was hired, as I understand. Yeah. It's like, and not even for the movie, but for his screenplay for Terminator was what got him this gig. Yeah. I was surprised on this review the amount of attention they paid to the first movie, actually. Like, spending the time showing the faces of the people that are not in this movie. Right. That was a really interesting <laughs> choice. Oh, that's true. Like, I think You guys remember yeah. Yafet Kodo? Yeah, yeah <laughs> the, but <laughs> well, I I think the movie at the very beginning does something very effective, and I think Sanders right about it's a great point. Like there is this divide. Like it's fifty seven years when she wakes up, and mm-hmm. we meet this totally new cast of characters. I I think it's effective because it's paying homage to the original at the very beginning, where um you know oh boy she's going to change the world when she reports back about what happened, and it turns out it's like the world has passed her by. Nobody wants to listen to her or believe her. And that's all, like, we are like her, a witness, right? We saw Alien. She saw Alien, right? She saw the movie. And for the rest of the movie, or at least for a while in the movie, it's literally like, did none of you characters see the previous movie? And and we get to be in that with her. That that like they don't they don't believe that she has any uh when she gets on on the Salako, like, who is this person? You know, can she do anything? And then by the end, you know, she's in charge because she's the one who knows what's going on, and half of them or three quarters of them are dead. But like I think it's super effective because it's like, hey, you're with us. We all saw that movie. You're with Ripley, and then we kind of throw it out and say, Yeah, but it doesn't matter anymore. Nobody's listening to us. These people don't know. They don't know what they're walking into. And we are with Ripley the rest of the way. I think it's a super smart way of, of, of constructing it. I'll also throw in, speaking of Cameronization, which we are here, <laughs> is the Marines, um, and, and they share at least one actor in common, um, 
it, it the abyss plays a lot of these greatest hits later too in terms of the mm-hmm. the vibe i get with oh, all of yeah. those characters mm-hmm. in that enclosed mm-hmm. in the you know the metal structure mm-hmm. of the of the sulaco when they're especially when they're in space but even even the the base when they get there um i can see I can see some of the stuff that he's doing here that he would later kind of replay some of those notes in uh, in the abyss, which is one of my favorites. So, well, he also replayed Michael Bean between this and the yeah, Terminator. that's that's the that's the yeah, one. I mean, and the, the Terminator. Like, <laughs> so. As the like, you know, you and me. What are you doing Michael, later? Oh, no. Michael Bean is in everything that James Cameron <laughs> does. Basically, he just put a mustache mustache on him for the abyss. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that mustache. The audience having seen Alien is, uh, I mean, that ties into what I said about sort of it works both if you have and haven't. If you have, it it leads to one of my favourite moments in the movie, which is the turn when you realise, because right up until about 45 minutes in, you're kind of in the dark. Yes, you've seen the first movie, but you're as in the dark as the rest of the characters you know nobody knows what's what they're actually going to face down there nobody knows what's going on uh, in the theatrical release at least um and then at about 45 i think it's about 45 minutes in after they do their initial sweep gorman says the area's secure and at that moment <laughs> at that oh. moment everyone who has seen alien goes no, no. you fools <laughs> we're all we're all with ripley right because she's like no it's not yeah. secure and we're like yeah yeah we all saw the movie too yeah. right we were and there there's a actually there's a line that puts that 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 i love that is while the cast is being displayed of, of alien in the background she says how many different ways do you want me to tell the same story and i love that like, that's literally james cameron saying <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. Yeah, you saw that one. That one went fell. That's great. Went it's fine. Great. We did it. But but what I love about that moment is that it still works even if you haven't seen Alien. It's yeah. still because mm-hmm. at that point the tension is high enough that you know something bad's well, going to happen. So the you may not have aliens, the full. They're not going to be no right. aliens. Right? <laughs> you may not have the full dramatic irony, but you still know. No, no, no. This is going to go badly. And when you see, yes, the arrogant uh, soldier ignoring, you know, the the experienced person Ripley, you just know that it's that he's wrong and she's right, even if you haven't seen Alien. But because this was made so long after Alien. Even if you hadn't seen the movie, you knew what it was. You know, you you wouldn't... How many people went into this movie having no idea what Alien was? Some, right. sure, but not many, I would think. Yeah, I yeah. think that's probably true. Well, sure, we'd seen Spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna walk through the whole the whole plot because because this movie does have. We're doing a great job of covering everything anyway. But it does have some big sections. Um, when we talk about the, um, well, let's let's start. I want to start about the that very first segment, which is the remember alien. We're going to not do this anymore. Um, only because I do love that line about how many times do you want me to tell the same story? The fact that it's 57 years. Uh, it, you know, Alien ends the, with that strange quiet of like, well, we we survived, and now we're just kind of in the depth of space, and they'll they'll pick us up later. And so to have it be like, oh, you flew right through all of that stuff, and we you were, it's only lucky you were found fifty seven years later. I believe in the is it in the special edition that it's revealed that she had a daughter who yes. has yeah. has yes. died since she's been gone for fifty seven years. Special yeah. edition and novelization, yes. Yeah. That's not in the regular edition? For some reason, in my mind, that's just always been part it's, of the movie. It's not, and it is one of the strange things when you watch the original cut, which is what I watched. Um, I have seen both of them. Uh, because one of the beats that, you know, like, uh, to put it in a modern context, something like Captain America, right? Like, it's kind of hard to believe that 
we see that she's messed up and she's in her own little, you know, work in the docks and stuff like that. But yeah. there's no emotional beat given in the final, you know, the original cut to the fact that everybody she has known is dead because it's been 57 years and she's completely out of time. That's sort of glossed over in the in the original theatrical cut. Of course, she normally flies in hypersleep, so it's not super clear to me that she this wouldn't happen to her anyway after a couple of trips. Yeah, it's unclear about hypersleep, though, because they are traveling in hypersleep, and then their rescue ship is going to come in 12 days. Yeah. 12 days, man! Um, so 17 days. Or, sorry, 17. You got it. I, I can't do direct quotes anyway. You've seen it. You probably know how many minutes, but uh, I don't know anything about it. Anyway, um, so what does that mean? Why are they in hypersleep for 17 days? Or are they at a jump point? Or a, well, I don't know. I don't know. It's just that there's if they're not heard from in 17 days... The guys will come. The guys will come. Um, yeah. Uh, the scene where we learn that she has a daughter is really good thematically because now you have Ripley who, you know, adopts Newt and you yeah. have her protecting her fake daughter mm-hmm. against the queen. But I have always felt that the extended edition, while it puts in cool thematic things like that, just messes up the pacing of the movie enough that I prefer the original mm. so much. I agree. I agree. It's the sentry guns are superfluous and the prologue with the colonists colonists, I think actually makes it worse because Mm -hmm. I think it's better when we, the audience, join the Marines as they go into the facility for that first time and they have they have no idea what they're going. We don't even know what it looks like in the theatrical version. I think seeing it beforehand spoils that. We don't need Newt's father to be the first one who got infected on the colony. I think that's just gratuitous. Well, we can put that together from what's in the original, though, right? Yeah. Because we see yeah. her uh, when we discover Newt, there's the award to Rebecca and it's got her last name on it, which I don't remember now. And I'm sure Anthony or Monty's going to jump in at any moment and tell me. And then um, <laughs> and then um, and then later they mentioned by name, this was the first person and, and he died when they tried to remove it. I thought that that was her dad. Maybe I'm. It, no, it was. You're right. No, yeah. it'll be after. Okay. Sandra, yeah, but so, I, you're so we, yeah. I, we can put that together. So, like, yeah, yeah I, I forget which parts are the, the special edition parts. But, yeah, the whole thing with the sentry guns. Like, I remember, like, when I was sitting through that watching for this, I just re- remember going, like, can we get back to, like, gearing mm. up and getting ready to actually face them? And I forget that that's, yeah. like, a special yeah. thing. So, yeah. I wouldn't defend the special edition. Uh, the only thing I do think was necessary was that scene to show that um, Ripley had a daughter. Because when I watched the theatrical edition uh, many times, it just never struck me as true that she would suddenly have maternal feelings for Newt. Like, are we just supposed to assume that because she's a woman? You know, let's not. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the only scene that um, added anything. Mm. uh, It's the one thing I'd keep, I agree. That would be exactly the only thing I'd keep. Everything else was absolutely just... I don't know. It just seemed like he wanted to show off some of his tech, like his world building. And uh, we don't need that. But I also like that it ties to the conversation she has with Newt later when her and Newt are sort of getting to know each other. And Newt says, did you have a baby? And, you know, and then we get like, when you watch the special edition, that ties back to, yes, I had her and she's lived her entire life and she's gone now. And like, you kind of see that moment with Ripley and it makes more sense when you have that conversation at the beginning. It doesn't need to, maybe it could have 
spent a little less time but i feel like that part is really important to show this bit which also explains why she's so protective of nude and why she's immediately drawn to like defending her and everything because you know newt's in like third grade or whatever and you know and that's right around her daughter's age when she left i don't think that second part's in no the, uh, neither neither release. of those scenes no, are not, in the theatrical no. release oh, it's all okay. excised so you you need to but i do agree thematically you you um it it doesn't like her taking care of newt it works fine but the extra resonance i think would be you know strong and that it's a shame that it got taken out well i just know that it happened i don't need to watch it every time i watch the movie yeah right <laughs> i'd also say that ripley hasn't lost everything because she still has jonesy she still has a cat uh, we've yes. glossed, we've Although, glossed yeah. over the fact <laughs> that she leaves the cat, the cat behind the cat oh yes the cat also see, has seen the original movie and if the cat were with them on the, the Sulaco, cat knows better the cat would say this the, also that this is not a safe situation but alas they oh. leave the cat behind oh yeah the cat is not going no the cat's definitely <laughs> not going so um Another thing in this segment that I wanted, this little part that I wanted to mention, which is the corporate angle here, because part of the, the, uh, the, you know, the evil force in the background is corporations and greed. And it's tr- that through line does come over from Alien. You've got the corporation. They don't believe her. Uh, there's a lot of talk about like, well, you know, do you realize how much that ship cost that you blew up? And she says, are you kidding me? And later she's like, we got to pull out and nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. I got that quote right. But um, <laughs> the uh, because we used to say that all the time. Yeah. Uh, Burke uh, is like, this. wait, this is a multi-million you dollar know, installation. Yeah, yeah, they're like, you know how much this place costs? We're not, it's like, we're not doing that. You can bill me. It's infested by me. aliens, yeah. people. So there's that and the, the, like, and the profit, and we don't want to do the right thing because it'll cost us money and all of that. And then it's personified by Paul Reiser, the uh, <laughs> friendly comedian who is You're given this- You're looking for the word smarmy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it, his use so of the good. word kiddo so is the one that makes me want to <laughs> stab him in the eye, basically, yes. right? You know, but he and and he gets her, and again he's Mister. Hey, it's cool, it's cool. Um, and but he, then he's also like, oh, you're you're down on your luck. You're working the docks. I can give you your job and your life back. You just got to come on this mission that you don't want to come on. Come just, on, let's just go. stay long enough to get trained on that power loader. It could come in it handy. Could, later. It could <laughs> yeah. uh, come in. Well, I yeah yeah. I get the impression that maybe some time has elapsed there because it's probably less likely that her return is simultaneous with the disappearance of the colony. I kind of assume that she's been kind of bumming around for a couple of years working the docks by the time that they come and get her. But that's maybe it's that's been just some my time because well i'm i get that from she tells them she has a class two rating on the load lifter unless she had and, that before which doesn't seem yeah well, she's already a yeah. space trucker she is basically well, in the yeah it's movie. been well it's been 57 years maybe that thing didn't even exist before she oh you no know, she, i don't know yeah either that or she had to like you know her, her license expired like way expired so she had to, <laughs> she had to retrain on the new she had, to, she had to retrain yeah. anyway i like well, this this is the the section and it keeps playing throughout the movie with paul reiser um because he's got a you know he's got a plan and he wants to take the aliens back and like the, and he they sent the the people out to find the eggs right like this is the reason that this plot happens and, and it goes as bad as it does is is truly the evil of the corporation that is behind it all and the aliens are a uh, monster but the real monster is the corporation so i, I like that stuff paul riser is a an inspired i think bit of casting of uh, uh of of the kind of uh, friendly face that is in front of the pure evil of the of the corporation and he is so and smarmy. he seems friendly like 
pretty far in. I mean, he has his sort of like, I'm going to toe the corporate line, but they have that moment where, I hope this isn't just something stuck in the special edition, where um, the corporal isn't going to tell them to pull out and Ripley starts shouting at them to pull out and finally Paul Reiser butts in, Burke, you know, he butts in and he's like, no, let her do it. Like, um, you had your chance, Gorman. Yeah. While, while she's she's driving, char- she she goes rip snorting back in to get him, and the corporal's like, no, 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 and Burke's like, yep, 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 stand back and let her work, and like so, like even up to that point, it still kind of feels like maybe he actually does believe her, maybe he's on her side, and then like ten minutes later, they have a conversation where you're like, oh no, that was just he he must have like lost his mind there for a moment, and he's back to who he actually is now. I think actually he's a survivor and that's what he, that's what drives everything, right? So when he saw that Gorman, uh, Lieutenant, I can guarantee your safety, Gorman is completely lost because everyone's dying. Uh, and then Ripley takes over. He, I think Burke sees, uh, if I want to get out of here, I'm going with her. I'm going with the one survivor I know has been through this before. So everything he's done is, is, um, to that purpose. So I think that, that totally made sense. Yeah, and he was on his second combat mission or his second drop or something. His like second rest- drop. Yeah. S- yeah. Second drop not simulated, yes. <laughs> 38 simulated. Yes. 38. But it goes even beyond that because it's right. It's not until you uh, see him switch off. This is Burke I'm talking about. It's not until you see him switch off the security monitor that you actually know that he yeah. is bad. Up until that point, as you say, he's, he's towing the corporate line. Yes, multi-million dollar installation and all that but you can sympathize with like look this is a company guy yes it's he's being you know a sort of uh, a shill but you can see where he's coming from and then you get that moment where they're where you know ripley and newt are in the med bay and he switches off the monitor and that's the point yeah. where you're like, oh and from that point on you hate him um to the point where i mentioned the aliens board game earlier there was an alternate scenario in that game called let's eat burke where (laughs) you literally like the moment where burke gets uh you know trapped in the closet with the alien you take the burke counter you put it in a one square space and you roll a dice and anything except a one he dies and if you get a one you just roll again and then he dies (laughs) (laughs) and that's the entire scenario (laughs) yeah in the theater people cheered out loud yeah. He got his. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I, I think that the smiling face in front of the true evil and like the fact that you, you can plausibly accept that he's like, Hey, I'm just working for the company. I'm an okay guy. Like that's the, that's how they get you <laughs> is, is that it's always an okay guy that they put out there, but you know, he's not actually an okay guy. Did you notice how his coat lapel is weird? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fa- future Trust fashion. That guy. Up and down at the years. same time. And I had a really hard time with it watching this time. <laughs> but Cameron is so good at lulling you into a false sense of security in this way. He does it so many ways in this movie with so many characters. Like Burke, yes, you think, oh, he's just a corporate shill, whatever, and then turns out to be really bad. He makes you think that the Marines are really capable and that the aliens don't stand a chance. You know, the whole setup of the first hour is basically showing you that the Marines really are badass and they are going to kick these aliens' butts. And you think, yeah, maybe they are. And then, of course, you, you know, you realize that they're really not and they don't stand a chance. The, the whole thing is about undercutting your expectations. Bishop, 
You know, anybody yeah. who has seen the first movie immediately thinks, oh, God, another one, he's going to be a bad one, and then, you know, winds up basically saving the day. It's it's so good at all these turning points and revelations. Yeah, Bishop is, um, so my son was like, well, when they said that he was an android, I thought he was going to be the bad guy. And I said, ah, that's what they want you. He hasn't seen Alien. And I said, that's what they want you to think, is is that because the guy in the polarizer character essentially yeah. in alien is Ian Holm. Right. Uh, but here Lance Henriksen is not, but, but it's a fake out. And I think that's fascinating. And that she is so, you know, racist to him, the artificial persons, uh, and that he proves well, he's pretty creepy. To he, be oh, fair. That's the totally other thing. Creepy, Casting the, Lance Henriksen. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. looks that's like really a creepy. bad, that's the brilliance of, of, of that setup is that it's like, no, don't, don't trust Bishop. And he totally the, saves the day. Yeah. For the rest of the alien series, Lance Henriksen is just what all of the androids look like because we like him so much. We're just bringing so it back good. over yeah. and over. It's just him. Yeah. But it is kind of the Terminator 2 thing as well. It's like, oh, this this android is actually the good android. Yeah, um, this time. This time. Um, yeah, this time. All right, so... On the Sulaco, we'll talk about that briefly. If you want to, if you want to talk about your favorite uh, Monty, you want to talk about your favorite Marines. We meet all the Space Marines. They they are um, they are types with quirks. And in a movie where you want to get to know them a little bit, and then watch as they as they die horribly, like this is how you do it, and they do it in in an interesting way. We also get some ideas about the tech. Um, we get Ripley trying to explain what's going on and, and they don't want to see it. The line that I wrote down that I love is, uh, anyway, we have it on disc. You can look at it. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, yes. she, yeah, we could tell you everything about this. And they're like, no, woo, bug hunt. Uh, let's go get them. I'm like, okay. I, I wish meetings would have more of that where someone would say, I have a PowerPoint <laughs> And instead of reading it to you, it's you can on just Dropbox. look at it on your own. It's on Dropbox. You can it's just look Dropbox. at it there. You can look uh, at it. Yeah, but I do love, I wanted to call out in this scene, um, separate from the Marines, uh, is the the mech loader. Now, yes, it's very much Chekhov's mech loader. I get it. I get it. But I just love the design of it. I love the big metal buttons on it. I love how grungy and, and uh, worked over it is. This is like future tech, sort of, but it's also just, uh, you know, working class uh heavy equipment like I, I love that i love that in sci-fi in general and i love that loader in particular and yes at the end of the movie you're like oh right <laughs> it's like okay I, I have a mech loader story yeah um, go. did it frighten you as a child it did a bit actually uh, uh i in the late 90s got to visit industrial light and magic with a friend Ooh. and uh one of the things that they did and presumably still do is that they had very competitive Halloween competitions. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the there were various costumes and stuff on display in, in the, the the area that I'd gone to. But somebody, uh, and if they're out there, I was very impressed, had built a full-size power loader as their oh, wow. uh, uh, costume for Halloween. That would be amazing. Wow. That is great. Monty, <laughs> but I didn't get silent, to go on it, like, so I was whoa. disappointed. Monty, who's your, yeah. who's your favorite Marine? Well, Vasquez, obviously. What are we talking about? Yeah. Correct uh, choice. Yes. <laughs> within seconds of Vasquez being on screen, she's doing pull-ups and saying cool stuff and high-fiving people. And you're like, <laughs> oh, she's great. More of her. Yes. Yeah. What I didn't realize watching it at the time is that, A, she's, um, well, she's John Connor's foster mother from Terminator 2. True. And uh, is yes, played by a... Face. 
Jeanette Goldstein. Yeah, she's yeah. not Hispanic at all. That's a no. little bit of a problem. <laughs> yes, that, that's the thing that stood out to me was like, did they actually like darken her skin for yes, this? Yes, they did. Oh. Yeah, that was And they gave her dark contacts. It does feel bad, but I love the character so much that I have chosen to accept it as an artifact of 1986. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, because that's about the only way you can do it. Well, we, we, we mentioned. Uh, and yeah. she's got the coolest yeah. weapon, the smart gun, which she and Drake have, and it's the steady cam I do like the steady cam guns. With, yeah. Yes, the steady cam gun. I love, as everybody does, uh, Hudson, Bill Paxton, oh. just because he, he is, he is, you talk about leaving it on in the background. While you're playing D and D, he is well, just he's, a he's running... the audience insertion character. Yeah. He says what we are all thinking. People he's are shouting right. at the screen, like literally, and he's right. And it's just like, oh man, it's game over. We got to get out of here. And he just keeps doing it, and it it makes me laugh. I, I every time I love it. But he's not just a coward. During the establishing shots, we yeah. we learn, oh, he's just a jackass. Yeah. Yes. Like he's constantly razzing Apo, razzing Gorman, razzing Vasquez. Yeah, he has no and, filter. He doesn't shut up, and he says funny stuff. And so, yeah, <laughs> it's great to have him there. I love the moment when Apone says, "Hudson, run a bypass," and what that means is go up to the locking mechanism for the entire colony, fold the entire thing out of the wall so the electronics are out there in the rain, and then just attack t- attach two connectors here and here. <laughs> I don't think that's very secure, and I don't think you need the tech. <laughs> Ah, but you've got to know which connectors to uh, attach those crocodile clips to. You know, that's a specialist job. Why is it they didn't even have to unscrew anything. The whole electronics (laughs) just come right out. That is actually another another genius bit of the 57-year gap is that it allows the movie to have more advanced tech than Alien did, you know, and to reflect the special effects of the time and Cameron's own foibles. Let's be honest, you know, he has his things like designing the uh, dropship, for example, which he apparently worked with aviation designers to make something that could theoretically actually fly in an atmosphere. Mm. Um, You know, these are the sorts of things that Cameron spends his money on and wastes his time on uh should have spent more money on that cloud it supposedly goes through at the beginning that's the moment when my son was like (laughs) well yeah (laughs) but but if he you wouldn't have those things in the same uh time frame as the original alien movie so even though although the 57 year gap helps in many other narrative ways that we've talked about it also just allows the movie to have this higher level of technology that allows him to tell this story but it's so funny how uh, what the 80s version of the future is. Oh, yeah. We're watching yeah. it 34 <laughs> years later. And you're like, there's there's paper. CRTs. There's styrofoam cups. The video feed well, is like low t- quality video. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. then the um, whatever that machine was, I don't know what you're going to call it, that Ripley uses to call Burke from her tiny teensy apartment. Oh yeah, uh, cubicle oh, and video has phone. Yeah, yeah. card. Oh, How his business card is like the yes, it's very time ID or something. It was awesome. Yeah, but at the same time, like with the super scratched up mech loader, I think maybe possibly it could be a um, an homage to Alien because you know yeah. the tech look in that film is like very specific, very like working class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not all bright and shiny and all that kind of stuff. So maybe. We can say James Cameron wanted to do that for a reason. Plus, it fit. It made sense. 
Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, yeah, it uh, it does fit. And the the you weren't going to do a two thousand one aesthetic in Aliens, right? Because Alien <laughs> yeah. already has pretty much yeah. set. It's grimy. It's dirty. It's industrial. Uh, it's lots of CRTs everywhere. And you know, you could it, it, you probably need to do CRTs anyway, but you could fake it or make it look like it wasn't. But like Alien already established, they're just big blinky CRTs everywhere. So yeah. this movie does it too. The mother room in Alien is one of those rooms that's just oh, blinking lights everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I noticed amazing. the number of cigarettes in this movie, which yep. just, yeah. which at the time was absolutely like not weird in any way, but now. No, that's the, is, that's the kind of stuff odd. that ends up becoming the most anachronistic in, a, in an uh, old yeah. sci-fi movie is the stuff that they're I, like, well, this is just what life is like. And you're like, mm, no. Oh, I hope they're smoking <laughs> all over the Foundation series. I, I did laugh when, when whoever it was came out of the uh, cryo tube and the first thing was to light a cigar. Yeah. My favorite yeah. tech in Aliens that calls back to Alien is the motion tracker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yes. is a complete nonsense piece of tech that's perfect yeah. for ratcheting up tension because uh-huh. it, it just keeps going. Because ping, you hear ping, it the ping, whole ping, time. In Alien, it doesn't exist. Yeah. They jury rig it together. Yeah. And then suddenly yeah. in Aliens, it's apparently a standard part of every Space Marine's kit. Everybody, <laughs> everybody's got it now. So I think, so watching this with my son, who is a big video game guy, what what really made me laugh is oh, him yeah. him realizing that all of these conventions of yep. video games are from movies yeah. like this. And he was like, oh, this is just like this. And I'm like, yes, that, that's where they got it. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, I played Marathon a lot in the 90s and uh, it's just aliens. Like literally, it's it's <laughs> Not just, just video games. aliens yeah. right Comics. down to the motion sensor. It's and amazing. And the video games in... The video games in 1986 did de- definitely did not look like this. No, so. no, but the future of video games was written with movies like this, I think, in the way that it's uh, because yeah. it's because video games, so many video games are combat and you want to have sci-fi combat and and like Halo and Marathon and, and, and so many other games that even well, down to the sort of the the. the Big displays showing the amount of bullets that you have yeah. left. Well, space, yeah. Halo, like I mean, it's literally it's Space Marines with big guns. It's like, come on, it's it and aliens. When did xenophobia come out? Yeah, <laughs> it's really hard to overstate the influence that this movie had on pop culture, just in general, not just games, comics, novels, uh, you know, and graphic novels, and just everything. It's and sci-fi in general. This and Blade Runner basically mm-hmm. influenced every other sci-fi fiction up until the matrix until the matrix those these two movies this and blade runner basically Im- ruled and influenced everything they were the aesthetic that everybody followed and it took the matrix which was all 13 years after this yeah, movie 99. to finally break that stranglehold on pop culture it's yeah. incredible so um introduce us to sunglasses and flip phones. Let's take the let's take the elevator to hell. Hold on. Before okay. before we oh, go there, I just okay. I want to know mostly probably from from James more than anybody. Um when the Power Mac G3 came out and you could just lift the thing and flop the side open. Like w- the first time I saw that in person, that was my first thought was like run a bypass. And can you unlock it? And I don't know if that was just me, maybe James too. I don't know. But like the first time I saw that one in person, that actually was where you could just um, lift the little catch on the side, and the the motherboard and all the parts and everything just flopped out like that. Um, that was my first thought when I saw. 
Uh, having spoken about said Mac on a, on another podcast with Jason quite recently, I, I have to say I did not make that connection, oh, but now I always will. <laughs> All right, let's get on the elevator to hell and go down to the planet. One going of the things, down. one of the things that is down. that suffers in the you cannot uh, be in the same room as me while I watch this movie. No, it no. Is <laughs> uh, one of the things about about the stuff that got cut out is every time it gets me, they walk out onto the surface of the planet which they had to use spacesuits for. And I know that they're terraforming it, but like they've only been terraforming it for 20 years and it's supposed to take a long time. And this is one of those things that is explained if you see people outside earlier in the movie before they all die. But we don't see that. And every time they walk out, I think, how are you breathing? It's They're still working on the terraforming, but apparently it's fine. It gets me, I don't know, it gets me every time. Clearly atmosphere processing is the first thing to well, they're be near finished. It. Maybe all the all the oxygen is right there by the yeah. by the thing, <laughs> the fusion go. thingy. Um anyway, this is this is you've got your uh things are are broken. It's that it's that classic like, well something really bad happened here, <laughs> but we don't know exactly what, which is really great. Uh there there is uh this is the quiet, quiet tension of there's been a, you know, obviously like a massacre, but we don't know what it is. And, and, and around every corner, it could be something, but it's nothing, which I, I love because it makes it that much more tense. The music gets weirder and weirder. Uh, this is one of several music cues by James Horner, by the way. This is why he got his reputation uh, of reusing stuff. Like, there's so much Wrath of Khan music in this movie. It's amazing. <laughs> a week to make this score. Yeah, so he, he had to reuse a bunch so of stuff and get an Oscar for it. There's there's a um there's a very brief period in Wrath of Khan where they go to the space station and it is very much the same situation as Aliens. Khan's already been there. They don't know if they're still there. They don't know what's there. Turns out he's killed everybody who's there except the people who escaped. And that whole section of movie is very much the exact same score that place for much longer in aliens because there's much more of it than there is in star trek 2 it moves on aliens lives there in that terrible scary place where everybody's dead um but anyway there's a lot of tension here and then eventually we see sort of the validation uh not just that there are aliens here but there are like uh there are like fakes huggers in tubes and and this is our revelation that that uh, somebody got one of these and they killed him taking it off, which is like a question of what what could they have done to John Hurt in the original? And the answer isn't really nothing. Um, it, you know, you could take it off and it would just kill the person who it was attached to. And then, uh, yeah, and then everything goes to hell and there were aliens everywhere and they're coming out of the walls, man. Uh, and uh, and the lieutenant is terrible and doesn't know what he's doing. And in the end, Ripley saves the day by uh, taking the Batmobile and driving it right into the facility to save whoever has survived the terrible uh, massacre. So that's this portion of the movie. I, I read that the those vehicles were in fact uh, the vehicles that they used to pull uh, airliners at BA, and they took one of those and cut a lot of stuff out of it because it was too heavy, and that's what they ended up with. In the Batmobile? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So it's, I mean, th- this is our first burst of action. Um, everybody, like lots of people die horribly. Uh, some by uh, eaten by aliens, some by acid from the aliens, which I think is very good because that's like the question throughout, right? Is like, how do you attack this creature? And it is one of the fascinating things because in Alien, it's a very limited supply of tools that Ridley, or is it Ridley, that Ripley has to, uh, to, <laughs> to fix it, to, to attack it. 
And uh, here we've got Marines with guns and flamethrowers and stuff. Like, great. How does that work? And the answer is better, but not Until great. they're told they can't use their guns. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it might blow up the fusion reactor and that would be bad. Uh, but anyway, that that is uh, it's it's uh, it's dramatic, and this is the end of that first portion of the movie because we lop off a bunch of our cast, and it and it goes very rapidly with the with the crash of the dropship. It becomes a survival movie uh, in with a smaller cast instead of the the big kind of military adventure that it is very briefly here. Uh, Jason, I would like to interrupt you though because we have introduced another character that I think we ought to get into. Yes, let's do uh, it. She's an adorable little girl who can't read her lines super convincingly, but nope. she's great <laughs> anyway. And her name's Newt. Her name is Newt. It's not her actual name, but it's the name that everybody calls her. And she's in a hidey hole in a little air duct place and has been there and a little malnourished, but otherwise uh, seems fine. And she's the only survivor. <laughs> Apparently, although there might be others somewhere else and they all just blow up in the fusion explosion at the end of the movie. Sorry, but uh, probably the only survivor. Definitely by the end of the movie, the only yeah. survivor of this entire place. And uh, and uh, basically Ripley takes her under her wing and uh, Newt is something to fight for throughout the rest of the movie. I think, frankly, they probably auditioned for Screamers rather than... Children yes. who can read their lines convincingly. Well, she's like one third screaming, two thirds fatalistic. It won't make <laughs> any difference. <laughs> Which she is more convinced than Hudson that they are all going to die, but she's accepted <laughs> it. But they also specifically cast for non-actors. Uh, mm. They they did try casting Newt with you know sort of traditional child actors, and what they found was that they were so used to doing commercials that they smiled the whole time, and they couldn't get the kids to stop oh. smiling. Carrie Henn wasn't an actor. And she has never acted never in anything acted since. Yeah. This is her she's only now, She's now role. 44, just to make everyone feel slightly old. Yeah. But this is her only role. She hadn't even had any roles before this. She was not an actor. So really, it's kind of amazing that she's as good as she is. Mm. And after that uh, experience, she went to become a teacher, which I think says a lot about the acting profession. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I, and I always wondered how her parents felt about her being on set and filming all this, uh, all this stuff with very harsh language. Yeah. Well, she just doesn't even blink. I saw somewhere that Bill Paxton was like constantly apologizing to her for her, like swearing in front of her. <laughs> and I feel like that's very on brand for Bill Paxton. I just, yeah. It, but it, it, it struck me as funny. She, I thought she was great. And I love. I love how she's very much the pragmatist in all of this. Like, you know, they're coming anyway. We're all going to like, she's very much accepting of everything, but she's also there sometimes to like state the obvious, like Ripley looks in Casey's head for bad dreams. And she goes, Casey doesn't have bad dreams because she's just a piece she's of made, plastic. Just a piece of plastic. Don't patronize and me, Ripley. I, just, I, <laughs> I saw my family die. <laughs> I've survived for weeks in this place. Yeah, and I but just like the moments like that where you just sort like you can tell like she's very much like in the moment and paying attention. She knows exactly what's happening and there's like the moment where she's trying to see the schematic mm -hmm. as they're all headed in and she's like dodging everybody's elbows and jumps up and down a little bit and Hicks just doesn't think twice and picks her up and sets her on the end of the screen yeah. so she can see too. And That's I just, the intersection with Smooch, uh, Agents of Smooch podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> it, I just love the moment when he's like, I know, like recognizing that she's kind of on the team as well and gives her that yeah, opportunity yeah. To, to. But that is also 
But that is also the moment when Ripley goes, ah, oh, yeah, he's the one for me. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be dark soon. And they mostly come at night. Mostly. Well, I think mostly. he starts turning uh, the first time he agrees that we should take off and nuke the place from orbit. Yeah, that's, that's such a great moment. Oh, that's right? it. Just, I th- well, I think we should take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yes. But, but that's Hicks, very much, oh, hello. Yeah. Hicks is very quiet in the introducing the Marines portion. Yes. You, re- you get a lot more Drake and Apone than... Yes. He's asleep during the dropship part. Yeah, I love that. I love that. that. That's a real thing, right? <laughs> like the, the, some soldiers get really nervous during a during a, a drop or pr- right before a drop, and then some of them just go to sleep. Astronauts too, yeah. like some astronauts, right before the launch, they're they're actually asleep and they have to be woken up. It's just a thing that some people do, and it's, it's such a nice touch that he's yeah. just sacked out because it's not. It's time to get some Z's because who knows when you'll need them again. Um, after after we're told that they mostly come out at night, mostly we we are are primed into our game over man game over. By the way, that's great. In, indeed, game over. It's amazing. Uh, the whole that whole <laughs> thing. So th- then we're in the survival movie, which is the last portion of this movie, which is they now have. So they've got no way off the planet, and there are aliens coming. So what do they do? And the answer is they need and to the survive. Reactor is about to blow. Yes. Well, and then they find out. So this is the thing. So they need to survive. <laughs> then they find out that the fusion reactor is going to blow up in a very short amount of time. And boy, what a day, huh, guys? Oh boy, bad day. <laughs> How about tomorrow? Let's see. See you back here tomorrow. So, um, so very quickly. And in fact, if you're not paying too close attention, it, you some of it will blow past you. But basically, uh, we can go Bishop, the android. He can get get to the antenna and reach the Sulaco, and there's another dropship, and he can remote pilot it down. And he's really the only person who can do any of this. And so they have to put their trust into him, and he shimmies away down a tube, down a pipe, in order to get out there. And he's going to do that, and and there's just, there's a great moment where they lift up, like, how long is it going to take? And instead of, like, what a human might say, which is, I don't know, we'll figure it out, I'll do it as fast as I can, he's like, well, it'll take 14 minutes for this, and 22 minutes for this, and all that. And, and then in the end, it's like, that's not a lot of time. And he's like, nope. And then he's off to do that and he so leaves. he's going to solve those problems their goal is basically to stay alive and kill aliens i guess if the aliens come for them until the dropship comes and then they can get out and of course what happens is the aliens come for them and then and then there is uh paul riser uh first off paul riser locks we should say paul riser locks ripley and newt in the med lab with uh face with face huggers in order Two to live try, facehuggers, yeah. With in order valid to try to get, facehuggers, like yeah. viable facehuggers. Like yeah, that's, they're crawling around facehuggers. They, they really want to do their job. and uh, and Lots of backwards filming. Yeah, that's, that's, his, <laughs> that's his, uh, his, his super evil moment. And then, you know, they, there's the moment where they're, uh, the, the motion control or the motion sensors are like, they're right in front of us. Where are they? And they're like, oh, did anybody look in the drop that ceiling moment. up here? <laughs> you would think you could get motion sensors that worked in three dimensions. You'd think. You know, just just display like some little graph that shows. Oh, it's above you. In fact, you don't think it's impressive that they can sense sense motion on the other side of walls. <laughs> I like, that's pretty cool. I, I like the idea that they lo- that they welded this door shut and didn't think that the drop ceiling just yeah. goes straight through. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been in office buildings where people are very fond of their locked doors below drop ceilings. Yeah, I will say there's a fun moment in the novelization. <laughs> where Bishop is crawling through the tube and an alien stares at him. And according to the novelization, we learn aliens only see movement. 
So eight, oh. Bishop freezes and the alien gets bored and leaves. Uh-huh. And it's fun that the Marines are using motion detectors and the aliens, we learn, that's how they see everything. Hmm. Oh, really oh, makes oh. you think. Interesting. And they don't show up on infrared, which I think should make them very good against predators. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't it later <laughs> revealed that what they actually sense is electricity? Well, perhaps later. Perhaps later. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, I want to back up to yep. Burke just for a second because, sure. because, like, not only does he lock them in, but he somehow, like, went in, I, I presume anyway, this, this part Ted Cannon, he knew they were asleep under the bed, went in there, unleashed the face huggers, and then took her gun and left. Uh, and left and locked so, the door. Yeah. So left and locked the door behind him. Mm-hmm. And then, so you you see it you see the gun like in the other room and you wonder how it got there because she reaches up on the bed and it's not on the bed and where did it go oh it's over there and then they can't get out and then you're like wait what happened and then that's when we cut to uh she starts shouting she figures it out starts shouting at the camera to get hicks to come help them and that's when he when burke turns off the monitor and then you know like oh yeah like it just sort of he's just sort of like in case you missed it i'm totally the bad oh, guy here the shot from outside the glass where we you can't where hear them silent. so good yeah, yeah that's great and so easy to do banging too. and it's so loud and like they like they are that you can tell from inside you know they're being very loud and they cut to the outside she, and yeah she throws the chair against the window and it bounces off nothing happens i didn't quite get how his plan was gonna work there you know because how how does the rest of it play out? You know, once they've well, both well, been what, grabbed by what's face the They both get grabbed. Now they're, uh, what do you call Hosts. it? Infected. Implanted. Uh, yeah. B- Bishop comes, brings the dropship down. Everybody loads on. Burke says, uh, I'll go last, you guys. And then he uh, turns off Hicks's and Newt's. Or not Newt's, but he turns off Hicks's thing. Yeah, but are they, are the, the whole, like, are they not going to remember the fact that they've been face-hugged? Oh, that doesn't matter. Once we get down to Earth, they're going into a company uh, lab. Because they go through quarantine asleep was sort of my presumption. And mm. they lay it out later that, you know, after after they have the conversation when he's like, oh, but nobody will know. You and know, it's, a, it's a funny thing because you can read it on the surface initially as being that he's retaliating against her because she's going to basically ruin his life and his career uh, because yeah. of what she's found out, because she has that, she sort of lets him have it, and then you realize, no, this is worse than that. He's he's decided to use them as tools to see about getting these uh, valuable alien embryos back uh, mm-hmm. to Earth to the bioweapons division. Which I always want to know: what else do you guys work on? Yeah, yeah. When you're <laughs> what not exactly finding perfect killing <laughs> machines out on asteroids? Uh, yeah. Also, if you have an alien that's made in Newt, do you, does it come out like all tiny and cute? It should, right? Because those <laughs> yeah. a- dog aliens are kind of dog-shaped. Mm-hmm. Well, but yeah, that's, so later. Like, that's later. Big eyes. And- so, um, talking about the pacing, yeah. you were talking about like how, because this is the next big sort of action scene. Uh, and like I said, the first one, it takes an hour before we get the first wave of aliens. It is another 30 minutes until this second wave when yeah. you know they're, they're in the room 30 minutes half an hour again of just pure cranking up the tension and then after that it's another quarter of an hour until you get the finale with the queen mm-hmm. and that's what i mean about people's misperceptions they remember the action of this movie because it's so good it's you know there is great action in it but there are only three real action sequences with aliens in this entire movie and it's what a two hour ten minute movie or something yeah mm-hmm. yeah 
But it's so well paced and nothing is wasted. Even in such a long movie, even with such spaced out action sequences, you're never, it never feels like it's dragging. You're never bored. It doesn't feel dull. It's so tight. Not a single line of dialogue or scene is wasted. And I love that about it. I think part of that is like you rem- like remembering the action sequences of it. But part of that is because you get the build up to it in the first place. And so it's more payoff that way than yeah. just, you know, the wall of action start to finish. So you get those quiet moments in between, like the quietest of moments as, you know, as Ripley points the gun at the ceiling and is trying to figure out where they are. And then all of a sudden really slowly looks up and you have that moment of, you know, yes, like, why didn't you dipsticks realize about the drop ceiling? <laughs> but, but like the first time through, or especially like if you haven't watched it in a while, like I had like that moment, you're just like, Oh, like, you know, now I have to crawl behind the couch. Cause I know it's coming. And, <laughs> and that, that moment when he stick, when, when he sticks his head up through the tile and you see all of them advancing at once, I think that's the first time we get a good look at them. And it's not just a quick shot of one of them being, shot at right and so you get this the, the yeah, it's like full seven on or of, eight of them crawling of along and on the ceiling as well that's what gets me is that yeah, the, like the a couple of them are upside one. down mm-hmm. and so it's just this wall of terror coming at you and you know and then he drops down and and it all jumps off but like that first moment, which is just so, so quiet, like that's where all those action sequences really hit is because you've had the build up to it and you're really like you're absolutely 100 percent prepped and ready for this all to jump off. And then it does. There's a line in here that I want to mention because I think it's great and I think it's actually unclear what is behind it. And that's what I like about it. It's they cut the power. What do you mean they cut the power? Right. Which is great because the question here is how smart are these aliens? Are they just animals? Are they smarter than that? I think there's evidence both ways. The I queen also learned how to take an elevator. Well, the queen, I was going to say yeah. <laughs> there is that moment where the queen apparently pushes the button on the elevator to go to the top, which is hilarious. And, uh, that's in the Roger Ebert review, by the way, he's like, hmm, apparently an alien can press a button on an elevator. Well, maybe they can. They may be smart. I, I we, don't they know. Might, I, I've seen cats open doors. We don't know. But this one, what I like about it is it's also the paranoia of it, right? Which is the power goes out. Now, there's going to be a fusion explosion. The whole thing is falling apart. The power might have just gone out, but they, but immediately it's, they cut the power uh, because they're used right. to fighting like enemies that would have that as a strategy. And what do you mean they cut the power? And I love that because it's it's we ascribe this to the aliens, even though it might not be them. Uh, wait a second. Do you mean that they're smart enough to do this? I don't know. They're going to kill us regardless. Whatever. I just I love that moment because. But if they are smart enough to do that, what else are they smart exactly. enough to do? I mean, that's the implication and, behind the line. Uh-huh. And no, and the first no time thy ha- enemy, and we have no idea. And the first time it happens, I think the audience accepts it. Yeah, like uncritically, like they oh, cut sure, the power. They cut the yeah. power, and then someone reminds you. These guys aren't supposed are, to be smart. They, that doesn't seem fair. Are they supposed Already to be just animals? Hmm. Killing machines. Maybe not. Why wouldn't they be smart? Didn't they come on a spaceship? No. Well, no, they, they came inside. No. The di- well, did you see Prometheus? <laughs> That's oh, the thing, though. At the time uh, of this film, no, there was no Prometheus. Well, there's the, the, the space the jockey. Movie, there's the, the space jockey, the giant dude, and this derelict spacecraft. Yeah, yeah, so right. The implication is, is burst open. Yeah, the, the, the implication is that they were hitching a ride on the space jockey. And his spaceship, so that they may just be parasites, um, not, you know, it, that it wasn't their spaceship is the implication of that. 
their life cycle is pretty weird. Late, later gone into <laughs> painful detail in Prometheus. Painful. Mm, yeah. Um, so there, there's all of this action and Burke does die and they get down into the, the vents. And then we get that moment, which is Newt is on like the water wheel or whatever. And she ends up sliding down the vents. Hey, we killed off uh, Vasquez and Gorman and Hudson in there somewhere. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to? Oh yeah, wanna, Gorman gets his redemptive moment, doesn't yeah. he, with the grenade? Yeah, yeah I want to say Gorman. Okay, yeah, in the in the vents, yes. redemption. Like I really liked his death, and I like that. Although Hudson is a big whiner through most of the movie, he goes down fighting. Yeah, like oh, yeah. he's yeah. shooting he guys and yelling does. things, and yeah, yeah. I always, I'm defensive of Hudson. I think he's one of the best movie characters ever, and it's not I, just because of his cowardice. <laughs> <laughs> his accurate cowardice. Yeah, true. true. He's just bad. he's he locks up in the in the moment. I I also like the fight. Just half the cast. I wanted to say goodbye to them as they. Yeah, and, and I like the fights the way you run out of you know you run out of all your ammo and you throw the gun at them and then you find out you find fire the rest of your other weapon and then you throw that gun at them and then you're like all right I guess we'll blow ourselves up now I like like there's nothing left for them to do at that at that moment. Um, I also sort of like yep. that moment between them as they put their hands on the on the grenade together. Oh yeah, like, it's a great moment. They're sort of like yeah. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, we're cool. Yeah. Vasquez's best line <laughs> at that point. <laughs> Which we can't repeat here. No. <laughs> no. Um, this, uh, so anyway, Newt is lost and they, um, and they, they go down to find her. She's in the water. They can't get down there. They're trying to cut. Uh, and, and she gets gotten. So, um, they decide, well, we got to leave her. Oh, <laughs> well, sorry. We lost a little girl. Is that um, a sewer? I'm unclear. It's never really made clear, is it? Because they've got a water wheel, so they've got some kind of hydroponic thing going. Uh, I don't know. I just it's, think it's weird. It, it could be, or is it just like subsidence? It's just like the water coming in from the water table on this planet? I, no, because it's got raised walkways. Yeah. I hope it's not a sewer because the walkway, like the regular area they were standing on. It's right above it. It's right, right above, above it. it. And that seems is not great. practically open to it. Like you could see all yeah. the way down. Maybe it's their water, you know, it's their water storage or water treatment facility or something like that. Well, but then stuff is going to fall in from people's dirty boots and stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's the dirty water out. That gets cleaned and These are the kind of conversations my RPG group and I would have. All right. Add <laughs> in stuff forever. Good stuff. Just. Takes me back to the days of Usenet. <laughs> all right. So, so here's. Maybe they don't have a civil engineering division at Whalen Utani. So, bioweapons. Hooray, everybody. Lance Henriksen has done his job. The dropship has come. Whew. We're in good shape. All How right. much time do we have? 26 minutes. And Ripley <laughs> says, well, we're not leaving. Um, you park, the, park the thing here. I'm going to go you down in the elevator. Anywhere. And I'm going to go get Newt. Because I've got her little tracker thing that we, you know, we found all. She's the wearing bars. the Apple Watch with the, you know, the parental <laughs> control uh-huh. thing, yes. so she can be found. Well, exactly. Also, can we have a moment to acknowledge one of Lance Henriksen's best lines when he just when she says we're not leaving and he just goes we're not. And yeah. he always confused. gets a laugh. Always gets a laugh. <laughs> yes. But I gotta save that. I gotta save the little girl. I gotta save the little girl. You see, Ripley's uh, character arc is now complete. She has gone from terrified and traumatized by her alien encounter to now she is purposely going in. She's going to face the queen by herself. And well, except she doesn't know there's a, she queen. doesn't know there's a queen yet. Well, right? yeah, but, face yeah. the aliens. Yeah. She's facing her worst fear, which turns out to look like a giant, cool alien queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great <laughs> moment, though, when she goes down there and you, we find the whole egg chamber and the ovipositor oh. and the queen that's attached to it. And you're like, oh, no. Ooh, well, ooh. and they've set that up earlier in the movie when they have that line about, like, so what's laying the eggs? Yeah. But then they leave it. They never mention that again until you get down there. Another example of like the power loader, drop something in, you know, put it in the right. audience's mind and then never mention it again until the revelation. And a great expansion of, of what we saw in the original movie, right? Where there are these, these egg things. But like, yeah. how would that work? And they're like, well, there's a queen, of course. Like, okay. Gently course. elaborating on the storyline instead of the Prometheus style. And the amazing shot of when... Ripley has kind of gotten a deal with the alien queen and starts backing out. <laughs> yeah, and then oh, yeah. the egg opens. <laughs> that little headcock of Ripley is saying, really? Okay. Yeah. I, that, yeah. So that's how you're going to play it. Is it okay? The, the well, dialogue- did, did, did that uh, pod open on the command of the queen or was that yes. just bad? Oh, time? yes. The, yes. the queen screams <laughs> when her workers and drones are burned. So I think it's probably a full hive mind. And that that moment of nonverbal communication where she's like, I could kill your eggs and and then everybody kind of backs off, including and the queen's like, We're cool, just just leave. Don't toast mm-hmm. my eggs. I love that moment so much because it, that's just a you know, they have nothing in common and yet there something has been communicated. Yeah. Here. And then, you know, and and then Ripley One mother you know, to another. So even these inhuman monsters, we so, have made a connection. We're not so different, you and So I. Let, me, let me say this. Uh, I'll, I'll ask the experts on this movie, because I've only seen it a handful of times. Um, torching the eggs, like, this whole thing is going to blow up in a giant fusion explosion. I, I, I get it. It feels good. But at this point, shouldn't you just go and save your, shave your flames or your, or your gunfire for the big aliens and not for the egg pods? That was the only way she could get out of the room. The other aliens are attacking now so she has to set up a wall of fire kill the one she can see and then run okay she doesn't know the queen can detach itself from the ovipositor yet right yeah and and she turns the weapons on the egg in the first place because it opens and there's a face hugger we already know how dangerous the face huggers are we've we seen do. it again in that earlier scene we've seen how mobile they are which we hadn't seen in the first movie right and now we've seen that they actually are really fast and nimble and can leap and all that sort of stuff so she can't risk turning her back on that thing and trying to walk All up right. the stairs with facehuggers yeah. chasing after. So it's after. not just spite, the, it's survival. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is spite as well. <laughs> <laughs> the noises we hear when the facehuggers are active earlier, like the snap oh, as its yeah, tail yeah, yeah. whips around Ripley's neck, really, I think, establish the facehugger itself as something you need to worry about. Mm. Which, like you say, in the first movie, you never really see it move. It's just on his face and right. then dies eventually. And, dies. and that sort of weird rubbery squelching tip-tap as it oh. like, as its feet move as well. It's a horrible yeah. sound effect, isn't it? Yeah. Skittery oh. noise. Is and just... when it's in the tube and we can see its little egg depositing oh, yeah. things shoving against <laughs> the glass. So, oh, oh we man. know what this thing will do if it grabs you now. Yeah. <laughs> that one being alive, I think, was the first jump I had in the movie. There were a few. And oh, yeah. when Bert goes near it and you, like as soon as he went near it, like, you know, he's the kind of idiot going to tap the glass. Right? right. And and all of a sudden, like, you know, it beats him to the punch. And every that gets me every time that right that I have seen this movie like Monty. And as I said earlier, many, many, many times. And yet that bit makes me jump every single yep. time it is so perfectly <laughs> yep. executed mm-hmm. um i think too like just ripley in that uh, egg chamber there's probably an element of catharsis because sure. she does go a little 
a little mad, right? The expression on her face when she's just firing yeah. grenades into the egg sack, egg tube. <laughs> what do we call that thing? Oh, Throwing no. her bandolier of grenades in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see this. Uh, yeah, there, there is definitely catharsis there. Like, like I said, it's not just spite, but spite is there. The spite is definitely there, as Anthony pointed yeah. out. It's, it's well earned survival and spite, also for that that other movie and right. what's happened so far in this movie. And yeah, um, and then but, later on, she gets in a fist fight with it. <laughs> Yeah, so so uh, takes the elevator up, uh, which is you know in the midst of all of this. There's aliens everywhere, and there's a fusion explosion going to happen. Elevator. And meanwhile, yeah. it's like, come on, come on, come on. If I push the button, does it come faster? Come on, come on. The repeated minimum safe distance announcements. Yes, just to remind you, uh, I know you can see that the entire place is on fire, and there are random explosions everywhere. But ticking clock. Go, go, go. I Well, I and it's a callback to Mother in the first movie, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Every time I watch this, though, I wonder, what does it say after that moment? Because, you know, there's the, there's a lag time between when it explodes and uh, and when you can get away safely, right? So in oh, that, Why is there no announcement saying you cannot now yeah, reach yes. safe minimum distance? Attention. What is if you are hearing, distance, if you are the within <laughs> the sound of my voice... You are about to die. Please make peace with your God if you have you one. You are well and truly effed. This will be my last announcement. <laughs> I'm I surprised more things don't have self-destruct mechanisms. In science fiction movies, everything has a self-destruct mechanism. Right. But well, I don't know remember, how, I, how I would do that to my apartment or my car. <laughs> <laughs> they don't when have they a set button. the self-destruct, it's really expensive. So that's why they're not nailing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we learned that from, from the discussion we have about the first film is that it, the the problem is not what happened. The problem is you blew up one of our ships, and those are a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the queen does follow her up in the other elevator, which it's just okay. It's 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 that bad. It's that Look, bad. It's we, we want the special special edition where the the, the queen is pressing the buttons rapidly. And, on and, the control panel well, as well, but then, if she was pressing Tapping the buttons rapidly, it would stop at every floor. That's the thing. I could buy it stopping at every floor, but then the queen wouldn't get to the top. The queen does get to the top, so she only pressed the one button, or it's got a recall maybe to the top uh, express because it's going to explode and they're trying to rush people up. I don't know. Uh, I the, think they probably would have shown the alien queen climbing up the uh, elevator shaft if they could if they but could have too big a puppet yeah, yeah. Uh, the- I, seeing it I figured it was like somehow in my mind it somehow hitches a ride on Ripley's elevator in the first place mm. I don't know why that was what no. I was thinking but because watching it again, you're I'm trying like, to make oh, sense hey. of it yeah. um, <laughs> maybe that's it my brain <laughs> decided this was the, the more logical solution so the dropship's not there Oh no! It's all failed. Except, of course, Bishop just—you uh, know—he was circling, and he comes up in that in that, <laughs> that moment. That is some phony drama. <laughs> yeah, right. In that moment, in order to get her, and they get away. Yay! It's over. Except, did you see the other movie? Because it's not over. There's a cool rear projection shot. There's a few yeah. rear projection shots in the movie, but I really like the one where she's like at the uh, railing, and then the drop shit comes up. Comes behind. up behind yeah. her. Yeah. Well, but and and it's again playing on people's expectations bishop the expectations by the audience of bishop are toyed with so many times during this movie like he's an and he's you don't realize he's an android then you realize he's an android oh my god he's going to be bad but he assures you he's going to be good then he even says mind your fingers uh when he climbs into the tube and he's going to do the heroic thing and call down the dropship but then the dropship disappears oh my god he's evil again no he's back he's got the dropship he's actually a good guy and then when they finally get back to the Solarco, one 
once again, there's that moment, just that moment where you think, oh no, he's in, impregnated. He is a bad guy after all. And then of course you realize, no, he's not. He's not. It's just it's so not. back and forth so many times with this character. It seemed like a calculation that he bailed. The minimum safe distance announcement is real time. Yeah. For the yeah. end of the movie. So when it says like it's 14 minutes or it's 17 minutes or whatever it is, that's how much movie is left. Exactly. It, yeah. The, the oh. tail end of the film is real time. This is an intense 15 minutes. This is what people are talking about when they remember yeah. nonstop action. Now, right. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I would say it, it happens in the same amount of time, but probably there are some cuts in that se- sequence that elides some of the time that happens while she's doing all these things. But at least it's, I get the, I get the point. At least when they say there's 14 minutes left, you are, you are going to see an explosion 14 minutes later in the movie yeah. on time. Even even if there was like a scene where she walked like for five minutes that was cut out, that you know. Anyway, it's I, I like it. it, it movies Jason, have you ever seen Twenty Four? I have, <laughs> I have. I, that's why I, that's why I prefer it like this. I prefer it like this, Monty. Um, okay, so again, we saw this is an alien movie, and of course, uh, what that means is that in the end, there needs to be one last. Oh, but it's not dead. It it came with us, and it's here, and we need to get rid of it one last time out an airlock in order to save the day, and that is what we get here. But it is, does come in an amazing moment where uh, Bishop gets uh, uh, impaled and ripped in two. <laughs> Oh no! With his milk, with the milk blood from uh, the first movie, everywhere, which I love. I just love how creepy it is that he's got white blood. It's strange and uh, and gross. And uh, and that bo- that uh, that loader is going to come in handy because we're going to have a fight between the alien queen and Ripley in the uh, in the loader. Although I will say, there's a lot of kind of I'm waving my arms and I'm waving my arms. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I thought they're the not queen really was fighting so much. <laughs> the queen should be a lot faster than the power loader. Yeah, yeah, but, eh, it's fun. But it's a it's a great last. It's the it's the boss battle. It's one on one. The glory shot of the door opening and there's Ripley, basically <laughs> flexing her power loader hands, yeah. saying cool stuff. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'll put up with a lot for that. Yeah. It's, it's emotionally satisfying. I mean, that, that's yes. the, it's one yes. of those moments that, yes, doesn't make an awful lot of sense, but it's what you want to happen. It's what the audience wants. It is emo- it's cathartic again, and it's just so emotionally fulfilling that you just roll with it. For the first time, Ripley is able to address the queen as a peer. Right. Like mm-hmm. the, the line, yeah get away from her you bitch is surprisingly straightforward she's not approaching this as an existential horror or a machine of death it's you and me right now we're finishing this (laughs) yeah let's go yep and you're attacking my surrogate daughter and i'm not gonna let you yeah yeah it's great and they uh and she uh opens the airlock true truest way to kill an alien (laughs) out the airlock and straight uh, yeah. into space and and then i love and a great little moment where um they're all getting sucked out into space and bishop who's only just his top part holds on to the thing <laughs> and then he holds on to newt so she doesn't fly out it's such a, it's a great little detail and i it always frustrates me she opens the airlock from inside the tube but doesn't close the airlock from inside the tube she has to crawl all the way out above the tube i guess because it's going to close both of them and she'd be caught in between or so i don't know i don't know it but it adds more tension because you're like can't she just flip this oh no she's got to crawl all the way out all right okay uh and then uh and that's it and and so hooray bishop saves newt 
Um, and uh, Ripley's okay. And uh, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Michael Bean, Corporal Hicks is is uh, going to be okay, although he's horribly burned and scarred by acid. And uh, but otherwise, they, their, they've survived. We return to the tradition of Sigourney Weaver being in uh, tight underwear for no real reason. No, yeah, no, no reason at all. It's just how I you know, do that. I, I, oh, I but feel you, like- uh, we forgot the important part where Newt grabs onto Ripley at right after the doors are closed again and she says mommy she mommy. does yeah oh yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I feel like the airlock having that convoluted system of opening and closing is surely no worse than the really truly bizarre self-destruct sequence in the first movie with those <laughs> strange metal poles and yep. just you know this That's- is a very strange technological civilization <laughs> it really is <laughs> And if they're really going to yell at her that much, you would think that the self-destruct mechanism would have a warning pop up saying, you can blow the ship up, but we're going to yell at you if you get back home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will be charged $41 million if you do this. Do you wish to 42. proceed? $42 million. I think the moment in this that sort of the other small moment besides uh, mommy is... Um, at Newt is sort of sliding by, like you see Newt starting to slide. You see Bishop catch himself on the grate. You see Newt go by him, and he reaches out for her to help make sure that she doesn't, yeah, that she doesn't go over the edge. So, like she's reaching for him, but he he seals the deal. He's yes. able to reach out and grab her and no, hold he saves on to her. her. His his so, upper portion mm-hmm. saves her. <laughs> yeah, which is <laughs> so weird and yes very creepy uh, and with with all the milk blood everywhere it's very mm-hmm. weird but, but like, it's another step in humanizing bishop but yeah. yes mm-hmm. like he he reaches out for her and and you know like gets a nice secure grip and saves her and she's still clinging to him when ripley makes it out of the airlock and that moment like that very small thing which honestly i probably didn't even notice uh, most of the times that I saw it on that much smaller than the screen I have now and much squarer than the screen I have now uh, viewings <laughs> of this movie. So that that felt new to me in watching it this time through that, that he reaches out and grabs her. And I, I did like that. That's sort of his last moment, you know. I'm glad that they didn't make any more movies after this. So Newt, Hicks, and Bishop yep. all I, were fun. Yeah, good thing they didn't I, wait, make any real hold, hold stupid on, hold decisions. On, hold on. <laughs> I, you know, you, James, you, you, stole my, you stole my next thing, which is what I was going to say. For those of you who have not seen Alien 3, and you think, oh, directed by David Fincher. Interesting, intriguing. Maybe I'll watch that. Here's the thing. Never have I found a movie to be more contemptuous of its audience than Alien uh-huh. 3. It is not a badly constructed piece of film, but as a follow-on to previous movies in this sequence, it is the worst movie of its type I have ever seen because it hates aliens. It hates people who liked aliens. It (laughs) hates everything earned in aliens. And I don't understand why you make a movie that follows up these other two movies. And the, um, the immediate thing you do is, for those who haven't seen it, kill everybody but Ripley. Yes, Newt dies in the first couple minutes of Alien 3 because they want to have a new adventure in a poorly lit monastery in space <laughs> with yeah. Charles Dutton Prison and some other monastery. people. Alien 3 is one of the reasons why I don't like David Fincher very much. And I know that's unfair, and yet there it is. I don't like him very much. I didn't like Seven either. Sorry. I've offended a lot of people now. I think Seven is a, is also a bad movie. But Alien Jason 3... Jason looks forward to your letters. But Alien 3... Yes, yeah, send them. Bring, bring it on. But Alien 3 in particular, and this is my final note in my notes that I took while watching this movie, is Bishop Saves Newt, 
Alien 3 sucks. And that uh, I'll, I'll take, and I will not be taking questions at this time. Alien Three, don't watch it. It's a piece of garbage. It completely undoes this movie. And uh, why would you? Why would you kill Newt? Why I mean, would you do that? Aliens starts with a dream sequence in which you think, "Oh no, Ripley's been." taken over by an yeah. alien and they've killed her. But then that's a dream sequence because cut to David Fincher. Dumb. Great idea. Why would we start the movie killing off the survivor <laughs> of the previous movie? She's our star. We're going to follow her adventures. And that's exactly what alien three does. Yeah. Yeah. Makes yes. me so every time, every time I see this movie, I think about it and I hate, that's what I hate about most about alien three is I can't not think about alien three when I watch the end of this movie. And I, yeah. because yeah. alien three yeah. is out there whispering like, it doesn't matter. All of this is garbage. I've invalidated this entire movie with my movie that I made. Yeah. And that movie, like, I remember seeing it and I remember being sort of confused and like, I don't, you know, like I, I didn't understand what the point was of that third film. Like, what's money. it even for? I mean, well, <laughs> we, I mean, we yeah, hired now, a mov- music video director like, and we're going to make some money. And I think that's sort of what makes the alien series uh, since we do have, since you did bring up the third one I wasn't going to because yep. you know they only made two um, is that like we found like we made the first one it came out in like 1979 or 1980 and um you know it took 6 or 7 years before the next one was released like because we didn't have a valid story to tell we finally found a good way to do it we di- you know and then the next one was like People like stuff when the name is alien, so let's do it again. And like you can see the 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 vast difference between those two sequels in that way. Like one was done because we know people will go see it if you put alien in the name, and the other one is like we had a valid story to tell and we wanted to take it oh. in this new, different, interesting direction. Alien Three is yeah. a different, very different movie from either of the first two movies. And on that point, they kind of got it. I just can't get beyond the fact that the whole part. Por- point of doing a sequel is that presumably people liked the previous movie and that you would immediately undercut the popular previous movie in a way that completely invalidates it and that's going to get the audience on your side for the next hour or two uh i will just i I will just point people at i'll say nothing here other than to point people at the episode of unjustly maligned that i did with moises gian about alien 3 it's uh, a very good episode all right People, people can listen and i'll just say again alien 3 sucks before Alien 3 came out, I read a script for it, which was written by William Gibson. Oh, that's bad. a oh, fine writer. Yes. Now, this is uh, back when like comic book conventions would have a booth. And you could just buy scripts for stuff and scripts for stuff that had not yet made. That's where I got it. So I assume it was really by William Gibson. Yeah. It was a fun story, completely unfilmable, because Ripley is in a coma but on screen the entire time. So they would have had to pay Sigourney Weaver (laughs) many millions of dollars to do nothing. And if you would like to know what that movie would have been like, there is a five-issue comic book series called William Gibson's Alien 3 that adapts the entire screenplay. Yeah, and it it is not... It oh, is not wow. a good screenplay. I, I am not. a huge William Gibson fan, it's as people know, but it is not good. No. No. <laughs> but no, it was fun to have until the movie came out and be like, oh, here's the secret William Gibson script for the yeah. movie. <laughs> and, then, and then you see the movie and it's like, well, Charles S. Dutton and people with torches in a monastery? What? 
It mm. was, yeah, even more disappointing in a way because I'd seen Alien 3 before I read that screenplay. Uh, and it was being touted as like, oh, this is what they would have filmed. And it was by William Gibson, so it must have yeah. been great. And then you read it and you're like, oh, no, no, no it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no. This, this franchise tortured. I think he was just kidding around. He could not have thought that would actually make a movie. Out. I think he was uh, taking the paycheck, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, any final words about Aliens before we move on oh, I, I think it's th- i would put this as the high spot of the uh, the alien however many films they've made now it was rapidly diminishing returns after this point mm-hmm. with a few <laughs> slight higher bumps but i mean i'm currently watching uh, raised by wolves which is effectively prometheus the television show and I really dislike it, but I'm still watching it. <laughs> <laughs> A strong recommendation. Noted. Yes. Well, I, I'll say, I'll say, uh, I think Prometheus is, uh, is way better than Alien 3, but, you know. The, the one thing I will say in, in closing uh, is that this is a master it's an absolute masterclass for filmmakers like it is i mean i mentioned earlier that you know nothing is wasted there isn't a single line or scene in this movie which doesn't matter uh you know they already cut 17 minutes out you couldn't really cut anything else and still have a movie that works but also look at the physical production of it and the physical design one thing i hadn't quite realized until watching it again this time was how small this movie is it feels big because it takes place there's outdoor scenes and it takes place on a huge spaceship and then on the planet and it, and it feels big but actually if you look at it it's really really small those are small sets a lot of them are enclosed they reuse a lot of the sets over and over it's it's a real masterclass in making a movie that feels big in a very very small space and with a relatively at the time small budget as well um and yeah i just i love it it's you know i can't really compare it to alien as i said before because they're so different but i do absolutely love this movie and i acknowledge its faults but and it is so 80s but i don't care it's just great any other final thoughts i think the pulse rifle is one of the best sci-fi guns god i love a pulse rifle that's correct (laughs) so do hundreds and hundreds of artists and designers who came after it (laughs) and uh i think it's a shame that in none of the expansions of the alien world have they really explained why it don't matter if it's arcturian (laughs) yeah (laughs) i enjoyed that it that it it also launches grenades isn't that the same weapon or am i thinking the wrong weapon uh she tapes she tapes duct tape yep (laughs) oh okay because i did enjoy well because when she's getting the shooting lesson she has no, it's attached a gun yeah, you're that's right, also you're right. a grenade yeah, launcher. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed the like bonus grenade launcher of the weaponry. I thought the I did think the weaponry in this whole thing was a lot of fun. I, most to, guns to have through. an alt fire mode in these video games. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now we know why, because of the bonus grenade launcher in this one. Yeah, that scene where Hicks <laughs> teaches Ripley to fire the gun. Yeah. Uh, that's basically what Doom is based on. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, I really in- I really enjoy it. I think like, I mean, we've, we've talked all about why, but I think it's, it's a lot because you get the build up to the action scenes. And so, and, the, but not only that, but they pay off. And one thing I've noticed watching this now, as compared to other action movies I see now is that um, there's a lot of chaos in, you know, especially in the first encounter when, when we thin the herd, when we thin the Marine herd, I guess. Um, but, but it's not uh, 
cut after cut after cut after cut after cut. It's not, you know, a fraction of a second of footage here and there and here and there and somewhere else and here and there. Like there it's it's longer shots and it's very easy to sort of behold all the chaos as it's going on. And that's a thing that's that uh, today is apparently communicated by very fast cuts from different things. And that was one thing I noticed about watching this. Um, compared to other like action movies I've watched recently that were newer is that that's how they do it. So uh, like Anthony was saying, the pacing, um, I think the pace in this is really nice. And I like all like it feels it never feels like we're taking too long anywhere, but we do get more time in some places than they would get if they were making this movie now. And I really appreciate that about this movie in particular. I would say for me, Aliens is like eminently rewatchable. There's always something that catches your attention. I've seen it uh, over 20 times. And um, for anyone who hasn't watched this, uh, like the subplot of Hicks and Ripley's attraction, I just say it starts at that um, briefing before anything's happened and the Marines are awake and Gorman is telling them, well, anyway, you can look at the, you can look at the it's on disc. disc. It's on disc. Yeah, it's on disc. So bef- during that briefing, uh, Hicks is the only one who addresses Ripley. And he looks right at her and says, you know, what are we looking at? And from there until the end, there's all these little bits and pieces where you see their uh, relationship, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, blooming, how he watches her and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's really fun to watch, too. If you like romance, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, I think we did it. We uh, we pulled out and nuked the entire site from orbit. They didn't have to do that because it nuked itself. Isn't that nice? Self cleaning. Yeah, I mean, you can nuke it <laughs> from the ground and still be reasonably sure. Yeah, I think we're reasonably sure there will never be any more alien movies. Anyway, uh, I would like to thank my panel for talking about this uh, movie with me. It was a lot of fun. Anthony Johnston, thank you for being here. Thank you, Jason. You know that wasn't bad for a human (laughs) James Thompson thank you Uh, don't be gone long Jason Kelly Gamont thank you this podcast brought to you by Wayland yutani Corporation oh no oh no (laughs) you guys know Wayland yutani (laughs) (laughs) oh that's really that's really good Monty Ashley thank you I permitive so cute And Sandra this Wong. This movie has a okay. cute kid in it. It doesn't ruin anything. That's pretty impressive. That's true. <laughs> and Sandra Wong, yeah. thank you. Thank you. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you next week, kiddo. <laughs>